Now there's revival right now in America. Anybody excited about that? Thank the Lord. How many of you know this country has needed a revival for a long time, a spiritual awakening? We're beginning to see the embers of that burning, and I pray, as I hope that you're praying, that it literally sweeps across this nation and begins to change the landscape of America, and that can happen. Revival has that effect on countries, and it can happen. But the revival in America right now does not look like the typical revivals that many churches would call revivals. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you know what we mean when we say we're in revival. What that typically looks like is, a, guys, what that typically looks like is, is it starts at seven o'clock, you're gonna get some songs, you're gonna get a sermon, and you get an altar call, and then you come back the next night and do the same thing again. You're gonna get a different sermon and different songs, and you do that night after night, and if it really gets going, you might even go longer than a week. Nowadays, it looks like, you know, one-nighters and two-nighters. Three-night is a long revival now. I mean, years ago, they would start on a Sunday and end on a Sunday, and that was Sunday morning and Sunday night. Anybody remember when the camp meeting just go two weeks? A camp meeting was two weeks long in, when, when they first started doing those. And now even a camp meeting is three days. Now most of the, the big camp meetings are three days. They'll start on a Wednesday, close out on a Friday, have a couple of morning services, and everything is just kind of downsized because of the culture of the nation has shifted away from just contending in the faith and seeking God and his presence. And so what we're seeing right now in the country is something that is very unique because it, is as, it, is a, it looks more like a prayer meeting than it looks like a revival. It looks like people are just waiting on the Lord. Uh, I've likened this to what I think the upper room must have looked like before the day of Pentecost. You know, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. And then he tells them at the end of that 40 days when he ascended, go tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So they left there, they left the Mount of Olives, and they were in a prayer meeting for 10 days. Now we don't know how long that, if that was every day, all night long. All we know is that for 10 days, they tarried. Now they didn't, they weren't expecting tongues of fire. They were not expecting uh, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They were not expecting to go out on the streets and preach in languages they'd never learned before. They were not expecting any of those things that happened when the place was shaking and the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. They weren't expecting that. All they had was an instruction, wait on God. Go in Jerusalem and wait until God does what he wants to do. And sometimes in the body of Christ, I feel like we have a difficulty with that, that kind of instruction. Just wait on God. Don't get in a hurry. Just wait on God. Let's see what God is going to do. And what I'm seeing right now in this country is fascinating to me because right now on record, and there could be more, these are just the ones that I'm aware of, there are 21 colleges right now that are experiencing a prayer outpouring on their campuses. Isn't that amazing? Come on, we, we need to give God praise for that, and that's absolutely amazing. 
What started at the, at the Asbury campus, and then we saw it at Lee University right here, right down the street from us, and then Samford University in, in Birmingham, and then it went from there to, to Texas, and then it went to Baylor, and I mean, it, it is something that is going, and now you've got people putting out prayer requests. Pray for revival at Harvard. Pray for revival at you know, the University of South Carolina. I've seen all of those. So what is happening is people are wanting a prayer movement because there's a group of young people that have been starving to death for something besides religion. They have gotten so much religion, they're not wanting that anymore. They're wanting to see the presence of God and a move of the Holy Spirit, and they're doing what they did on the day of Pentecost. They're just waiting. I mean, I've gone to some of these meetings, and, and it's Quite fascinating. There's no one with a microphone. There's no one tell, giving you instruction. There's no one saying, get in this line and that line. There's no one's taking up any offerings. No one's, there, no one's even at the keyboard in most of these places. It's, it's a cappella singing, and sometimes someone will show up with a guitar, and you'll have a little acoustic song, but there's no set. There's no planned songs. Uh, when I was at Lee one afternoon, there was a young lady that, that was sitting there, and they were singing, and someone would read a scripture and someone would testify then she walks out and I'm thinking well she must have to class she goes out to her car brings a guitar in she sits in the back on the floor she's not up front leading anybody and she just starts singing on her guitar and before it was over the entire room had joined in with this young lady impromptu singing just waiting on God and that's what they're doing they're waiting and praying and can I tell you that is a formula that still works Waiting on God and praying, that is a formula that still works. Did, how many of you read that last week that impromptu prayer and worship broke out on the streets of New York City? Did anybody see that article? That was amazing. Several of you saw that. I saw that on social media where in, in the middle of New York City, there was an impromptu song service that broke out and then prayer meeting broke out right there on the streets of New York City. The same thing in Santa Monica, California, and people can bury their head in the sand and dismiss it and say it's another fad. But I'm telling you, ever since COVID shut down the country, people, God's people have been praying, saying, God, breathe on us, move on us. I have been expecting revival fires to blaze for years now, and I'm going to be one of those that fans the flames of revival and believes that God is going to do something. We're seeing the remnant, we're seeing, not remnants, we're seeing the infancy of something right now. We're seeing a group of young people that are coming hungry for God. We're seeing the emptiness of their lives reaching out for God, but I believe it's going to start here and there and there, and, and maybe you don't understand why the prayer movement has to proceed revival fire, and it always has. If you do, if you study the Azusa Street meeting, which was a three and a half year revival, the, the revival at Azusa Street did not have many sermons preached. It was, a, it was a prayer meeting that never shut down 24 hours a day. People were in this small area praying and sometimes hundreds of them would gather in this area and then they would go home, they would get tired or they would go to work and others would come in and it never shut down for three and a half years. You would have sermons that, would, that people would sing and almost all of it was acapella. There are, there's very little mention of 
of any musical instruments at Azusa. It was just people coming and praying, and then they started seeing the miracles of God. They started seeing the, the visible Shekinah glory of God falling in the room, and it's amazing just to see what they were doing. They weren't coming for church. They were coming for an encounter with God. They were coming for the presence of God, and I am ready for the presence of God. Don't get me wrong when I tell you I've had enough church, but I'm telling you, I'm in church all the time. I'm in church more than I'm any other place, and we need something bigger than another sermon that was cleverly designed and cutesy sermons with, with one joke in the front and two internet illustrations in the middle and three points and a poem at the end and a three-minute autograph. I'm telling you, that is not going to turn these universities around. That is not going to turn this nation around. This is not going to turn the pain of this world around, but an encounter with Almighty God is what we need, and that is what will change the landscape of this nation. If you believe that, put your hands together and bless the Lord tonight. During the charismatic renewal, one of the things that, that earmarked that renewal was that people were going to the altars. It was almost like every service was geared to bring you to the altar. That's where all of the ministry happened. You had, I don't know how many of you ever studied the charismatic renewals, but you had short sermons, and, and you're not gonna get that from me, so don't get your hopes up, but they got short sermons uh, they, had, they were there because everything from the music to the sermons was pointing them to an encounter with God. And that's, that's really what made this charismatic renewal so unique is because people were coming from all over the place because what happened in the altar was changing everybody's lives. And I'm not saying there's, there's always a place for sermons, and honestly, you don't need a, an ignorant revival either. You don't need lack of knowledge, and pe you, you don't need people perishing for lack of knowledge. You need a good balance of a solid word, you know, solid theology. You need all of that in the pulpit to keep things in balance or a revival would just turn into wildfire and, it, and it's just gonna get hokey on you because it doesn't have the word as an anchor. So I, I don't want you to misread what I'm saying. My point about that renewal is that the focus was on the altar. I remember even in, even, even in Bible college, even back when I was working on my bachelor's degree, I remember when they were telling me in preaching class, you need to preach to the point of persuasion because your sermon is supposed to lead people to the altar. That's what our professors were telling me. Don't preach if you're not gonna invite people to an altar. You're preaching to bring them to an encounter with God, not just to enlighten their minds. Listen, this world has had plenty of intellectual gospel. The world has had lots of that. We've had, our minds, are, our minds are inundated with an intellectual gospel, and it's hard to outdo the intellectual gospel we've already gotten. I mean, we've heard the most clever sermons, the most intellectual sermons, and I'm not saying that, that, that they don't have their place. They do, but something has to happen after that. If you just give someone a good idea and that they go home and their life is the same as it was when they came in, when the the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has invited them, and you've got the Holy Spirit wooing them to a place of prayer, and then they leave here. That's why we wrote songs like, you won't leave here.
here like you came in Jesus' name. Did they sing that in your church? Uh, we sang that song till, till the, I mean, we, we rung that one out because we really believed that if you could just get to the, to the presence of God. We really believed, and I still believe, that if you can just get to church and encounter the presence of God, your life can change. I want to see the hand of everybody who's been wrecked by God in a moment. A moment has changed your life. A sermon or a song, a moment, that's all it takes. That's more than a paradigm shift. That is a spiritual shift. You need more than somebody just talking you into Jesus and asking you to make a decision between heaven and hell. Yes, all of that has its place, but we need to change lives and change marriages and change parenting. We need fire on the family altar again. All of that needs to take place if we're going to change the landscape of the world that we're in. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. All the emphasis in those days was the altar. The music team understood. And, and I'm not talking about our worship team here, but I, because our worship team is amazing, but most of the places when I go, the music department has no idea what to do in an altar call. They, they just try to find a little song that matched the sermon as best as they can. They don't get the flow. They don't understand how to move when God moves. I'm not talking about our guys. I'm talking about most of the places I go, the worship team drops the ball totally at the altar almost every time. And it's like, pulling a freight train sometimes. It's like, oh, what do we do with that? And you just work with it. You just work with whatever you got. You know, you, you don't have a choice at that time. But there was a time that everyone understood we have to get ready for the altar. And anybody remember those days? We have to get ready for the altar because what God is gonna do is there. We do our part. We use the anointing and the giftings that we have to bring people to God and then God is gonna touch their life. God is gonna touch their soul God is going to minister to them. If we can just get them to the altar, God is going to take it from there. See, you don't really have to do a whole lot of ministry around the altar. You might think you do, but it's really not about you. It's really not about your gift. You might enjoy ministering to people. All you got to do is point them to Jesus. And, and, and again, this is no pun on altar workers, but some altar workers are more of a distraction than they are a help. Let's just be honest, folks. Some altar workers are keeping you from Jesus, not getting you there because they're so busy trying to prove to everybody that's watching how powerful they are that they're that they don't understand why they're there they don't understand that they need to listen to your prayer requests not just immediately start dumping things on you you know they need to hear why you're there anybody ever wish an altar worker would just listen to your prayer requests before they pray for you so they could actually come into agreement with why 
you came there? I mean, let's get real tonight. The altar is where God works, but we have to, we have to get back to that culture. I remember when Faith and I first went to St. Louis to pastor, um, we only had 50 people in our church in those days. This is the same church, by the way, that grew to you know, thousands of people, but at the time we got there, we only had 50, and I knew that you know I, I married a very talented redhead here. She could play and sing, and I knew, what, I knew she was gonna do her thing, but I knew we needed something besides that. We needed something besides, you know, I was still learning how to preach, and still learning how to preach some days, you know, but I was, I was doing my best. She was doing her best, but I knew this church was 52 people, no, no children, no youth at all. One teenager in the whole church. They, no, I think we had two, Tammy and Chad were the only two teenagers in the whole church. We only had two teenagers and almost the entire church of senior adults, and they were just holding on. They couldn't pay the bills. We had a roof that had caved in. We had a, a, a small little uh, meeting area that had flooded, and the floor was all buckled up. It was just an absolute mess. And when I got there, I thought, Lord, how are we going to pull this out? I mean, you know, they're counting us. We're only 24 years old, right, when we got there. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to pull all of, this to, all of this together? And the only thing that I knew is that God had to help us, and I couldn't preach us out of this mess, and faith couldn't play us and sing us out of this mess, that it was going to take a divine encounter. And so I noticed that no one would come to the altar and pray. And I remember one time getting angry, and I was 24, and I was frustrated because I was begging them to come to the altar and pray. And finally, I asked them, I said, listen, guys, we're never going to get this off the ground if we can't get people to come to the altar and pray. So, so what's the deal? And one person said, well, you know, that, that altar hurts my back. Oh, okay. Well, that altar was like, it was like three feet tall. I must have bought it from Presbyterian Church. I don't know if that's what their altars look like, but it was not made for laying on, which is sometimes what you need to do. It's made for kneeling like this. And so what they were saying is they were kneeling, and after a while, their back would start hurting. And I noticed that no one would stay in that altar very long because it was, it was not comfortable for them. So I did what every 24-year-old young pastor would do that has no wisdom. I started cutting the thing off. I didn't tell anybody. I met the church. I'd take me a skill saw. I'd cut an inch off, put it back up there, and nobody noticed it. And then I'd go back about a few months later and cut another inch off of it. And what was there, And nobody ever even noticed it. It was like they didn't even pay any attention to it. It just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until one day I realized they started laying on the altar, and they stayed longer. And then it was easier to get people to pray. It's like, oh, no, I can hang out here for a minute, but I can't do the other. It was killing my back. And, and I don't know why that is, why that, I guess that's where I get the idea, don't alter the altar, because that's exactly what I did. But in that particular case, I had to alter it because people had to get comfortable. But that's one way of altering it. But what I'm seeing today is people taking the altar completely away. I'm seeing people in churches today not having, a, I mean, I went to a church one time, not too long ago, just a few months ago, I went to a church, and I was actually there to hear another guy preach, and I just wanted prayer, because you have to understand, the guy here preached most of the time is me, and every Sunday I hear myself, every Tuesday I hear myself, and so I don't get to go hear other people preach very often, and so I was there at that church, I was off that Sunday, I was listening to that guy preach, and I thought, you know what, I just want to go pray. I saw somebody, and I did this, they gave an altar call at the end, I walk up there, and it was, you know, it was, wasn't very dynamic, which is okay, it doesn't have to be a dynamic, I was just waiting on the Lord, and I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to wait and see if somebody prays for me. Man, I was the last one to leave, not one person 
person came by and said, God just touched this brother, help him, whatever. And I left there thinking, what has happened? What has happened? And, and, and I don't want to just, you know, always preach old school, old school, old school, because, you know, I've got one foot in both places. I can go old school if you want to, but I also love what God is doing now. But I thought, what has happened? There were saints in my church growing up that if somebody would have gone to the altar, you would have had three or four people around you immediately, and they, they believed in what they call praying through. Anybody know what that means? Praying through means you're going to pray till something happens. It's the push concept. P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And those saints, man, if you went to the altar, they meant business. I mean, they had come before church and prayed. They are there to pray with you, and something happened. And in those moments, moments and those altar moments something trans something transcended in my life something changed inside of my life because of that so why does true revival have to start with prayer because prayer is like it's like building the coals of the altar prayer if you remember the brazen altar had to have coals on it before it could have fires on it they had to bring a coal from the brazen altar inside for the altar of incense and so it is like prayer movement builds the embers and then god just blows anybody ever built a campfire before what you do, you get this tiny little fire going, and then when you see it getting hot, what do you do? You blow on it because your breath causes it to flame up. And how I see revival working, the way I understand the patterns of revival is that God starts with prayer movements. God's people begin to pray. They get desperate. They begin to pray. And then at some point in time, when the embers are, when the embers are there, the Holy Spirit just blows on the embers and they just begin to flame up. And then you will see what many people commonly call the fires of revival or the momentum that revival gain and people start coming out to them and they have God encounters and people start getting saved but it has to start in a prayer movement so revival does not revival is not born through songs and sermons Re revival does not come from concerts and I love all of those things I love the songs and the sermons but you got to understand that that is not how you get revival you can have a service every night at seven o'clock and sing your songs and preach your sermons but there is no guarantee that any revival is going to break out and there's no guarantee that anybody is going to get saved. Revival is born in prayer rooms. Revival is born, the upper room was a prayer room. That's what that was. It was 10 days of praying, waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And we have to understand that if we want to see what God is doing in this land, God's people have got to stay in the altars and come to the altars. And I just want us to stop here for one second and thank God that there are university students right now that are staying all night long in prayer meetings. I mean, that is something we should all be thrilled to death about. Thank you, Jesus, that we're seeing university students praying all night long. I mean, there aren't many people in this room that have ever been to an all-night prayer meeting in your life, most likely. And yet we have students praying night after night after night, seeking the presence of God and, and, and just staying in his presence, waiting on the Lord. True revival looks like that. True revival looks like something that starts 
with prayer, and then you see the momentum building later, but you cannot shut out the prayer. You cannot stop the prayer. The prayer is absolutely necessary. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.